Well, hello, everybody. This is TA, and you're listening to The Recourse Podcast. Today, Samantha Redding is here, and she was the 2019 Miss North Dakota. And yes, I did spend a lot of time asking her about pageant life because I knew nothing about pageants, and I was so excited to learn. But I am so excited for you to hear her story now as a special educator. She has such a big heart and does such amazing things with her students and for the education system. And I just know you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, let's jump in and hear from Sam. The fun part about the start of the podcast, I got into a tradition of saying, um, Let's let everybody know how we know each other. Well, you know, you and I are becoming new friends, so it's going to be a little, I'm been trying to process how to start it a little different, but I guess maybe just, um, tell us who you are and maybe give us a little glimpse of what we're going to be chatting about today. Yeah. So my name is Samantha Redding. Um, and you know, everything from pageantry to teaching to life after pageants, um, touching on a little bit of everything today. Yeah. I'm so excited to chat with you today. And we, um, I was able to get in contact with you through, um, my cousin-in-law. I always hate saying in-law. It sounds so like removed, <laughs> but, um, my cousin, Jolene, who's in my not, cause you are in Burlington, correct? Yes. And she was one of my, uh, teachers at MSU. I love that. Yes. And so she was so excited because she knew your history with in the pageant world, but then also your heart and dedication um, with students and special education. And when she sent me information, I was like, oh, this person's going to be amazing. And as we've done <laughs> the pre-interview and as we've been chatting, you've lived up to the hype. You're amazing. And I'm so excited, oh, to, talk to, you. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you today. Um, and I know I shared this with you and I'm sure many listeners also Um, I'm excited to talk through some of the pageant life because my total understanding of pageant life comes from Miss Congeniality, which it's a great movie, but how did you get into pageants? Where was your start? So I was never a pageant girl. A lot of girls that you meet that like go to Miss USA and stuff, they have a long history of lots of different pageants. Um, but I was never that way. I have always been in sports. I've always been very like clumsy, not graceful at all. That is not a word to describe me whatsoever. Um, but I got a flyer in the mail that said you could be the next Miss North Dakota USA. And my mom was like, you should try this. And I was totally against it at first. And she said, just think about it. Just think about it. And so I took it home and I hung it on my wall and I was like, well, if anybody could represent North Dakota, like, why not like a true North Dakota girl, um, born and raised here. I currently live like two blocks from where I grew up, the house I grew up in. Um, just very much like North Dakota is who I am basically. And so I was thinking about it, like, well, why not me, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I decided to give it a try. Um, the first time I competed for Miss North Dakota USA was in 2016. Um, <clears throat> I was a semifinalist and fell in love. Basically it's yeah. kind of an addiction. It's like tattoos, you know, it's just, <laughs> you, you do it once and you get hooked. Um, and then people usually come back. That's kind of, they keep coming back for the, the experience reaching new goals, that kind of stuff. So it was, it was addicting, definitely. Um, and then I competed in a different system and won, and I was Miss North Dakota Teen United States um, in 2016. And so I came out of that year with a high, basically, of like, I was just a state title holder. I just went to nationals. This is going to be so much easier. Like, I've got this total confidence boost. Um, and then I didn't place at all when I went back and competed at uh, Miss North Dakota USA, I was a non-finalist and that was really, a humbling experience for me. Um, was there anything that you did differently in the prep work for it? Cause you had such success the first time was there. Cause I know again, going back to my big pageant, um, you know, experience here, did you have coaches? Did you have people that were, you know, coming alongside you to say, this is what to expect and here's how to train for this. I, at that point, I didn't have any coaches. I mean, I had like my former state director from the other system. Um, I think where I went wrong was having the idea that like 
I had already done it because I hadn't, I had one in a different system. Um, but my sense of experience was kind of a false sense because they're two completely different things. There, and maybe we so should different. stop there. Um, sorry, I totally talked over you. Uh, maybe we should stop there and have you explain the difference. Cause that was the other thing I think people get really confused about that the Miss America system, Miss USA versus Miss America system are very different. Yes. Um, so, you know, a lot of pageant girls try and go too in depth with it, I think. And then people just like tune out. Um, it's like any other subject when you get really passionate about it, you try and like completely inform people. Um, but I have learned that analogies work great. <laughs> um, so I equate it to being like different brands like Coke and Pepsi or Nike and Adidas. They make the same type of products. Um, but, but their, their backing behind it is a little bit different. Um, maybe they cater to certain things. Um, the America system has a lot more political backing. Um, and the Miss USA is a lot more about um, advocating for different things. Um, that's kind of where their basis is a little bit more in the public eye, I would say. Um, and, you know, another thing that people really recognize is Miss America has a smaller crown that sits on top. Um, and Miss USA has a bigger crown that fits all the way around your head, kind of like a headband. So sure. And the Miss USA program is the one that goes on to compete for Miss Universe. So there's a yes. national version and then international. Um, international. Thank you. I was like yep. a world version. <laughs> That's <sounds> really dumb. <laughs> so you were in the Miss USA and then I totally cut you off in the middle of that conversation. So then you would continue to compete in 2018, coming back to the USA program. Yes. So I came back and competed again in their 2018, um, and was a non-finalist and my whole ride home. I was like, I'm done. I'm never doing this again. This is not for me. Um, and I think I was just really bitter. Um, and my dad, of course, had a bunch of wise words, but I needed to get that bitterness out of the way to be able to really hear what he was saying. Um, and he just kept repeating, you know, when the time is right, when it's your time, when it's your time. And I was like, dad, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like I get to decide, which is totally not true. Um, and if that would have been my year, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been ready. Um, I had a lot of growth to do over that year. And God truly had a plan for my timing. Um, so then I told myself when I got home and I was ready to hear those things, I said, you know what, I'm going to put everything I have into this for the next year. Um, <clears throat> because it was a natural, um, turning point for me in my life. I was getting ready to graduate from college. I was getting ready to start my teaching career. Um, I, uh, had a change in significant others. Like it was just a really pivotal point in my life where I was like, you know what, either it's meant to be, and this is my year, this next year, um, or it's not. And that, and that's okay. Like I have all of these other things to look forward to. Um, and it's okay to like end the journey, but it's not okay to end it out of spite, um, or frustration or anger, just because you didn't get something that's like a child's response, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. And, and I think sometimes, you know, it's okay to just acknowledge the frustrations. Um, but you have to decide what to do with them after you're done acknowledging them and decide like, if you really want to quit or if you want to push harder. And that's what I did. Um, are you typically a person that has that, um, has that ability to be like adversity pushes you forward versus adversity pushes you down? Um, I think my response was very true to who I am. I, okay. I, I like to say that, you know, I'm not a person who gives up easily. And I think that does ring true, but I do kind of always have that sense of doubt where I'm like, Oh, I'll never do this. You know, that what we call at school, a closed mindset, um, <laughs> in my classroom, but I think, you know, I think part of that is okay in acknowledging the fact that like, I'm not where I want to be yet. Um, and I think it also helped me, helps me to decide how much I want something, because if I don't get as upset about it, then obviously I don't want it as much as maybe I thought I did. If I was like, oh, you know, 
whatever, I can just keep trying like that kind of, while that seems more positive, it kind of shows me that like, oh, maybe I don't want this as much as I thought I did at the beginning. So a little bit of both. Yeah. I think that's a really good point to think about that distance that we have in our, in our bodies and brains when something happens and to be able to use that as the springboard to reflect on, like you said, whether that means I should go forward or stop. And I don't think there's always a right or wrong way. Cause I think sometimes, you know, we're bred to be like, keep going, never give up, you know? And there's times I think it is okay that that dissonance can upon self-reflection also give you that point to go, you know what? I think that is where I need to kind of let that down. And so, um, I think that's interesting because I tend to not be that kind of person where I, you know, when somebody tells you, you can't do something, you're like, I'm going to prove you wrong. That's yep. not my personality, but I am always, I'm always extremely jealous of those who can have that. Yeah. I think there's also a difference between like giving up and, and acknowledging that something isn't on the path that you're trying to go on. Mm-hmm. You know, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, like, mm-hmm. like giving up is much more of a defeated thing. Whereas I think deciding that something is not going to follow your path or where you want to go or your priorities or what's going to benefit you. I think that's like more along the empowering line rather than like giving up just sounds so like, I'm giving up. (laughs) Right. So you said you took the next year then to focus on 2019 and what that would look like. What does that look like? What do you, when you say you prepared, what are the things that you have to do to kind of get yourself mentally, physically, ready to get, to go through that process again? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people think getting physically ready and I definitely did get physically ready. I took my gym experience a lot more seriously. I started working, um, with some local trainers. I didn't really reach out big, big and wide for that, but I did start working with some different people who had a lot more physical fitness experience than I did. I've Mm -hmm. always been tall and thin. Um, but at the same time, like I wanted to be healthy. That was my goal. Um, because thin doesn't always mean healthy and healthy doesn't always mean super thin. So, um, I think that was kind of more my goal rather than being like sick thin anymore. Um, and so I started working with some trainers physically. Um, but I also searched for a coach and that was a pretty intense experience for me. Um, because, going to pageants, you see the typical like pageant Patty who always has a very, um, politically correct answer for everything that doesn't really answer the question that you're trying to ask them. Um, they always stand straight and nice and you know, they're, they're perfect for lack of a better word. And I am very far from that. And I told myself if I was going to win, Sam was going to win. Like it wasn't going to be the pageant version of Sam, like there doesn't need to be a disconnect in that. And so I really wanted to find a coach that was going to help me, um, present my best self, um, and was going to support my choices and wasn't going to try and make me like a minion of them (laughs) because I love that. Yeah. So, um, I found an amazing, I call her my mentor more than my coach because she didn't really coach me. It was more of just like giving me helpful tips, like journaling, Um, and when I was on long road trips, she was from Minnesota. So I would take, you know, the eight hour drive to go visit her, um, and do different, you know, hair and stuff like that in Minnesota. Um, so my mom and I would just ask each other questions and it could be as simple as tell me your favorite color and explain to me why that's your favorite color. Or if you don't know, that's fine. Um, to like more complex, you know, like what is more important to you? um, health, wealth, or being wise, like, and, and not necessarily picking the right answer, but just backing your answer, being able to like choose one in the first place. Um, because a lot of people think that, you know, to win a pageant, you have to have the right answer. And that's not necessarily true. You know, sometimes it's not what people necessarily want to hear, but you have a reason for your answer. And that's, I think that is what gave me a little bit of an edge was being able to answer truthfully um, and not always having this big elaborate thing to fix everything. Like my, my final answer um, when I won Miss North Dakota was not anything life-changing, but I answered the question and it was something really relatable that everybody could 
relate to. And I think do you that's- remember what the question was? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I'll never forget it. <laughs> what um, was the question? <laughs> I was asked if I could be invisible for a day, would I? And if so, what would I do? Oh, wow. And it was okay. a weird question <laughs> because yep. I was like, um, I think you could go a million different ways with it. Um, but I just kept it simple because I didn't want to trip myself up on this big elaborate plan. Um, so I said, yes, I would. Um, and I would choose to, um, buy people's drinks in like the Starbucks, Starbucks line or like a drive-through line and just watch their reactions, um, being invisible so that they couldn't, you know, thank me, or they didn't know who it was. Um, but just like selfishly for me, just being able to see, um, the positive impact would be great because I have like the best day when someone buys me something in front of me in line. Like that's just, it just catapults your day. And it's so simple and anybody can do it. You know, every once in a while, you're going to get that person who orders $35 worth of Starbucks, but you know what, then it comes back around to you. And next time, you know, you need something small, someone will be there to pick you up in that instance. So, um, just those little things are so important. And I think we forget about that just being so busy and, you know, living a very fast lifestyle sometimes, um, that you forget that those little things really do have a huge impact on someone's day or could potentially. They do. And I like the way you said it too, that, I mean, there's some selfish drivenness to it in the sense of, um, I, you know, I taught middle school for 15 years and there was a lot of, we are such seed planners in education that we are planting all these seeds that we don't necessarily see the outcomes of. So to be able to see the outcome every once in a while really does make a huge difference. So I totally, when you said that, I was like, yep, I totally understand where you're going with that. But if I can see, and I don't necessarily need that, um, interaction, but if I can see it without them seeing me see it, that's, I mean, you know, yes. How cool would that be just to have like a GoPro for the person? (laughs) Very cool. So you went on to 2019. Was there anything big different during that season or during that competition? Or do you feel like it was pretty normal to all the other years? I think the biggest thing was I really felt, um, prepared, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily like any more or less confident, but I felt very like, like I didn't have any regrets. I couldn't, if I didn't win, it just wasn't meant for me. Like I had mentally prepared. I had physically prepared. I was in the best shape of my life mentally and physically. Um, I was in a very loving relationship, which I couldn't have said about past years, um, and just like the support from everyone, um, I, ha- I was student teaching at that time and the support from those students is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a little bit of an edge because they were like, what if you don't win? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but they were supportive nonetheless. And it was just really a good feeling to walk in knowing that like, all I had to do was give it my best. And yeah at that point that was enough. And I totally did not expect it. Um, there were, a, there's always something that you're like, Oh, this just didn't work out the way I wanted to. Um, and, and so it kind of makes you lose hope a little bit, I think, but I think that's also a pivotal point was that that one thing I knew in my mind, wasn't going to be the end all be all that there was a, you know, a wide variety of things that those judges look at. And it's more than just the dress because actually the dress that I wanted, I did not like on myself once I got it, like it was beautiful, but it just, I didn't love it to the point where like I walked out and I felt like a million bucks because of the dress. I felt like a million bucks, but not because of my dress. Um, and a lot of people find they're like, Oh, it was beautiful. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying like, that wasn't, that was the one thing that if I would have changed anything, that would have, that's what it would have been. Um, but you know, overall it was a great pageant weekend. I had great supporters. I was so shocked. Um, my crowning video is kind of embarrassing because I do this weird thing with my hands of like, <laughs> I know they can't hear that on the podcast, but it's like That's a okay. hand flapping weird thing. I don't know. Um, totally not graceful, whatever. Um, but it was, it was a very surreal moment for me because just a year prior I had the complete opposite um, reality. 
And so it was really cool to kind of see that what I needed to do most was not sit there and practice interview was not, it was just to find a tribe of people that were going to tell me that it was worth it to keep going and to support, you know, when I had to go to the gym at 10 o'clock at night, my boyfriend was like, I'll go with you. Um, you know, just those kinds of things, supporting, um, me putting healthy foods and enough foods into, you know, my body to fuel my body, to remind me to journal. All of those things were like super supported this time around. Um, because everybody knew my goal. Everybody knew what the parameters were. They knew that this was it. I'm putting my all into it now. And then if I win, great. And if I don't, great, because I have a plan B and a plan C. Um, and yeah, my parents, my siblings, so supportive, so amazing. My boyfriend is like a godsend. So I just, I really went into it with a really good group of people around me. And I think mental health wise, that was super big for me. Super big. Yeah. Can you talk to me about did you struggle with or know of other girls that struggled with like the whole comparison thing? I feel like as a female and just growing up through society, like I can imagine that would be one of the hardest pieces in a competition like this, that constant, I could probably put my best foot forward, but I still feel like I would constantly be thinking about what they're doing or what the next person said. Absolutely. I think there's some little piece of women's brains that just <laughs> does that by nature. And you can be the most confident person in the world. Um, but there's always some sort of comparison there. I don't care who you are there. You could be I'm like loving this person and they compare themselves to someone or something or want to strive. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Um, but again, I think just acknowledging, like, why do I want to be like that person? What is it about that person? Is it personality trait? Is it a body thing? Is it a confidence thing? Like, what is it about them so that you're detaching it from the physical person? And it's not like a overall comparison because we don't want to be exactly like anyone. Like I could want to be like you because you're so personable and you're so bubbly. Um, but maybe and this is not true, but like, maybe you're like super rude. I don't know. Like behind the scenes, <laughs> it could be, you never know. <laughs> um, and, and maybe I want to, you know, have this person's hair, but like, I don't want to have her sense of style. I don't know. But like, I think it's really healthy to look at people and take inspiration from people say, you know, that girl's work ethic is amazing. Um, but not, wanting to be them, wanting to, um, take inspiration from the things that you do really find admirable or striving to be like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think like detaching it from the human itself is really important and acknowledging that I don't want to be like them. I want to have this quality or, you know, I really love this about them. Yeah. I love that idea of being able to break it apart. Like you said, of, of detaching it because then you're being self-reflective of, man, I think it's because, I mean, I don't love my hair. I don't love this mm -hmm. whatever. And there's pieces of that, that I can change or that I can strive towards, or I can change versus just holistically. I want to be that person or holistically I'm not good right. enough. And I think it takes out jealousy. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. I think to be able to mentally go through that. So after 20 or after Miss North Dakota, then you get to continue on to then Miss USA. And that was held in Reno, Nevada. Yeah. How was yeah. that? It was hot. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was very hot being from North Dakota. I mean, obviously it gets it's mm -hmm. super hot here right now, but um, it was a whole new level of hot that I was not expecting, but that's okay. Um, it was a completely different experience than I thought it was going to be, to be very honest with you. Um, in a positive way, I was expecting, I mean, there was rigid things like we had bodyguards, we couldn't, you know, go out by ourselves. Um, we could only be on a certain floor of the hotel without being escorted. Um, that whole hotel floor was like just us. There was a bodyguard constantly standing by the, um, elevator that would not let other people on nobody, um, except people with certain credentials. Um, <clears throat> and 
you know, rehearsals were long and brutal. Um, but everybody, all of the ladies were so like, there wasn't that overwhelming sense of the comparison there wasn't. And I didn't really know why, um, because these are like the highest ranked ladies in their state. Like these were chosen as a representative from their state for whatever reason. And everybody was to a super high caliber and there was no need for comparison because we were all just appreciative of everyone being there. And everybody was super down to earth. I mean, we all still are very close. We have a group chat and I think almost everybody is in there. There might be one or two that are not, but everybody is in there. And we all still talk all the time um, about pageant stuff and not pageant stuff. We all, there's been a few weddings from the 2019 class and we've all at least gotten an invite. If we were able to go, we all go um, and just super supportive of each other in whatever avenue of life we're in. Um, and, and just, you know, lifting each other up while we were at Miss USA, I actually didn't know this, but I had a broken foot. Um, and so that was really difficult for me because I had... Ooh superficially, I had all these great outfits planned and I was like, so excited to try on shoes and do fittings. And that was terrible. And walking in heels for eight hours in rehearsals is not what you want to do. Um, and the shoes anyways, were not the most comfortable. Um, very appreciative for sponsors, but they just did not fit my feet personally. So that was a struggle. Um, and, and I think just really challenging, like, mentally not being able to, we could have our phones, we could, you know, look at Facebook and Instagram, but you don't want to do that. Um, but like not being able to physically be around my support system was a real struggle for me. Um, they did great things like put little, you know, hidden things in my suitcases. And, um, I, my mom found these really cool. This just stuck out to me. These little mini cards. I don't know where she found them, but they were super cute. Um, and she gave them to influential people in my life. Um, all of my family, immediate family members wrote one. Um, <clears throat> some of my teachers wrote one. Um, some like family friends wrote one. Um, th just different people in my life that are really important to me. Um, and I had one for each day. And so I opened mm -hmm. a different one each day. And it was just a little reminder, um, to set them all, you know, on my side table and then wake up to all of those people that cared for me and that, um, couldn't be with me in that moment, but like had a physical place in that room at that time. Um, I actually, my roommate was Minnesota. I love her to death. She's amazing. Go Minnesota. Go Minnesota. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and I think it was just like an overall, it was like a slumber party, to be really honest. Like at night, we were all exhausted. Like I said, our, our hours were anywhere from 10 to 16 hour days. Like we would get home, come back to the hotel at, you know, 1am and have a call time at five and you had to be full hair and makeup. I mean, that takes two hours. So three hours of sleep, um, and only straight black coffee is really tough on a girl. <laughs> Um, but my love for coffee rings true. I can't <laughs> live without it. Um, but you know, runway parties in the hallways of practicing our walk and we'd cheer each other on and we'd have dance parties and we'd girls would cry and girls would have breakdowns. And, um, I think that it was a really good experience for me because I'm not a girly girl. And so that was a really hard for me. And and that was probably the most intimidating part, not talking to Miss Universe during interview, not um, getting on a stage that I knew was going to be on live TV and not meeting T-Pain in person. Like I have always loved him. So when I found out that he was going to be our performer, I was like over the moon. That's so awesome. Excited. Got to stand next to him. He's super nice. Um, but none of those were in as intimidating to me as having to surround myself with a bunch of women. Um, because I've just never been that girly girl that really clings to women. And I know, you know, like the bra girl that you hear about nowadays of like only having guy friends that, I mean, in a weird way, that's just how I grew up. I love sports. I had a lot of 
you know, guy cousins and guy friends in my area. Um, and I just don't really deal with drama. Well, I'm a very upfront and honest person, almost to a fault. I'm sure people might say, um, but that's just how I best deal with things if people are just honest to me. And so I always try to just be very blunt and, and real with people. Yeah. Um, I love that. Then the USA program though, is embracing that and allowing for yeah. these just authentic women to come together. Cause the way you're describing it is if you were all cookie cutter, of course, you would all be a little bit more at each other's throats. And you know, when you're around right. people that are all the same. And so I think that's super important that the organization embraces the authenticity of each woman individually. Yes. Um, the year that you were, um, in the Miss universe pad or the Miss USA pageant, that winner that year was Miss North Carolina, correct? Chesley Christ. Chesley Christ. And yes. you alluded to earlier when we were chatting, you were just good friends with everybody and you knew her quite well. Yes. Um, they, you spend a lot of time in your group's by alphabetical order. Um, and so she was actually right in front of me the entire time. So for two weeks, we really got to know each other. We were the Norths. Um, everybody kind of has their, you know, the Dakotas are always a group. Me oh. and South Dakota got really close and, um, me and all the other Norths, um, and like New Mexico and stuff, we were all really close. And so, um, I got to be right behind Chesley for the entire two weeks. So we got to be very close. Yeah. And she did a wonderful job of she won. And then she got some great opportunities moving forward from the pageant. Um, but unfortunately, um, as we all know, um, her life had a dramatic change and had some issues and she decided, unfortunately, um, she ended her life recently. How did that affect you? Um, <clears throat> the way that I heard about it was really, um, a good way, I guess you could say, but also a really hard way because I was just thrown kind of right into that. Um, <clears throat> I was actually in TJ Maxx <laughs> and our group chat will often blow up me and my Miss USA sisters and there's 50 people in it. So when one person brings up a topic, it's everybody's bringing up a topic. And so I'm used to kind of getting bombarded with those messages. And so my phone just kept buzzing, 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 and I was shopping. So I looked at it and I saw that it was our group message and I just snoozed it. Um, and then when I got to my car, I opened it up and it was just this overwhelming sense of numb. Honestly, it was, mm -hmm. it was like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Like this would never happen. Chesley is the most positive bubbly person. Her laugh is so contagious. She is just like, and everything happens for a reason kind of girl. And I think that's why we clicked so much. Um, and, you know, her and I had had conversations about mental health. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, try to cover that um, with being that bubbly outgoing person. And so her and I, you know, had had some pretty good conversations, um, pretty, um, beneficial conversations, not necessarily good, but, um, healthy conversations about mental health. And, you know, so that wasn't a surprise to me of like the fact that she was going through those struggles wasn't a surprise. Um, but to the degree that she was, was definitely a surprise for me. Um, her family is so supportive. Her mom is fabulous. Um, and she, you know, was always supported by our group very heavily. We all were so proud of her the entire time. And, and even after that, I mean, she used her title as a, as a catapult to like do all of these great, amazing things and become this icon of a Miss USA that, you know, is known around the world. And if, you know, unfortunately now there's that extra piece to it, that's known around the world. But I think, <clears throat> I think the thing that I always try to communicate with people when they ask me about it um, is that you can seemingly have it all and still feel like you have nothing and still feel very alone. And um, no matter how much success you have, no matter how supportive of a family you can have, mental health um, can be a struggle for anybody. It doesn't matter how much money they make, doesn't matter where they live, doesn't matter how many friends they seemingly have. Um, 
being lonely is not just being physically lonely. It's, you can be very mentally alone. Um, and you know, whether you've experienced that or not, that's something that can be very debilitating. Um, I know my own struggles with mental health, you know, personally, I'm very grateful to never have felt, um, those very intense feelings, um, that she must've been going through. I myself have never, you know, tried to, um, take my own life, but I do know, you know, many people and, and especially since, you know, Chesley's passing, I've been very much open with the people close to me, um, in the fact that that's a very real feeling to have. And, um, while it's very, very, very unfortunate that that had to happen, um, Chesley is very intentional all the time, um, in good and bad. And I think that she was always destined to change the world. And this has definitely changed the game of acknowledging mental health, especially in such a widely known organization like the Miss USA and Miss Universe organizations. Um, and it gets the ball rolling about success versus happiness um, and what success looks like to different people because it can be so different. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I really appreciate you being willing to talk about that. I knew that it can be a, a harder topic to kind of relive and talk through, but I think you're right in saying, um, there is intentional intentionality of being able to use that then to hopefully help others feel not so alone and not so, um, I, I want to say unique, but just that people feel so like nobody else has felt this way and it it's so not true. And so it's great that you can honor your friend that way. And I appreciate you sharing about that. Absolutely. So after Miss USA though, life in the pageant world kind of slows down then for you. Cause I learned, which I didn't know you can't compete again, obviously to become <laughs> Miss yeah. North Dakota again, unless you switch systems, but that was not your goal. So instead you kind of put your heart and soul into a different pageant world. Do you want to tell us about what Miss Amazing is? Absolutely. Um, so it actually started, um, with an appearance that I did as Miss North Dakota USA. Um, I really wanted to make it my goal to attend as many, um, uh, events, fundraisers, different organization things that had to do with disabilities. Um, I, have a sister who was born with down syndrome. And so that has kind of always been a really good connection and something that I've always wanted to pursue, which brought me to my career in special education. Um, but I wanted to bring awareness during my year and really use my platform. Um, and my voice that was on such a bigger level at that time, um, to bring awareness to the fact that the opportunities for people with disabilities are really lacking. And, you know, while we have things like special Olympics and um, best buddies programs and things like that, they are so great, but there are so few of them. Like thinking of the opportunities that people without disabilities have um, is, is not even close to comparable. Um, and it's not that people with disabilities can't participate in those things. It's just that those opportunities aren't widely acknowledged to that population. Um, and so when I heard about the Miss Amazing organization, I was so excited because it's two of my favorite things combined into one. Um, and so I attended the South Dakota Miss Amazing event um, before I gave up my title and volunteered there. And my boyfriend and I were sitting in the audience during the final show after volunteering for two days. And I was thinking in my head, how am I going to tell him that I am so passionate about this and I love this idea and we need something like this in North Dakota um, because I always have these big dreams, but I always like shy away from, you know, really going for them, especially with all of these other things that I have my hands, you know, involved in. And so I was thinking the whole time, like, how am I going to break this news to him that now I have this other passion that I'm going to go after in some shape or form. And he looked to me and he said, so we're doing this. Right. And I was like, 
Well, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how you read my mind, but I'm so thankful that you did. Yes. Um, <laughs> it was it was just the most surreal moment to be on the same page in that like this was an opportunity that North Dakota didn't have and we didn't really understand why North Dakota didn't have it. Like we had Because Miss Amazing is a national organization, correct? And there's certain yes. chapters throughout the state. Do you know how many states are involved in Miss Amazing as of right now? Currently 36. 36. So have, and- have a state level. Um, we have girls participating from states that don't necessarily have like a state directorship. Um, but 36 states are currently represented under directors. All right. So then there wasn't one at North Dakota time. So you're like, we gotta make this happen. Yes. So I gave up my title in September. Um, <clears throat> And by December of 2019, I had interviewed and was given the position of the founding state director of North Dakota Miss Amazing. So that's awesome. I love that. And I think that's an amazing opportunity, unfortunately, because I, <laughs> I know a little bit of the story and I have a good sense of timing. 2020 was right around the corner, which means yes. to start a big organization like this in a new state to get people kind of on the wagon, I imagine was not the best timing. <laughs> no, COVID uh, really had other plans for us, which in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things was a blessing. You know, timing is everything. Sure, sure. sure. Um, but yeah, we had planned for this whole big event to happen. We got sponsors. We had a venue. We had girls like we were ready to go. And then COVID said not yet. Um, and so we had to cancel our 2020 event. <clears throat> Um, and then we were told by our directors, like our national level directors that every state, because every state was canceled, like as a, as a nationwide thing, you know, we did, we're not allowed to have a a state level event. Um, so every state was told that they would have a two in one, (laughs) um, event basically. So they would crown a 2020 queen and a 2021 queen. Um, at their state event and whether they held them separately or they did them together and just crown two was up to them. But um, we ended up help holding them together. So we had a combo <laughs> 2020 slash 2021 event um, and it went really well. And we ended up taking eight girls to our first trip to nationals um, in 2021. And yeah, it was such an amazing experience. And So this year we were like, okay, we're ready. We've done this once. It was great. Um, And then Snowmageddon came and wiped out our plans of ever having a normal planned event. (laughs) So still to this day, we have not had a regularly, like we only plan it once event. Um, We did hold an event this year and it was only a one year, which was great. Um, Much more relaxed in my opinion. Um, but still nothing goes as planned. Um, our MC ended up being sick that day. So I turned around and had to MC, which turned out great. It was a blessing. Um, it was super fun to be on stage with the girls. Um, I know them really well. And so it was a little bit easier if they were, you know, getting overwhelmed or things weren't working out to just be able to be out there was kind of a natural thing for me. Um, and, and we also were down a judge because of the date change. So we had to find, um, a judge, which turned out to be a great experience anyways. So, um, it was really a test of, you know, again, leaning on that support system that I had built and just knowing that everything happens for a reason and it's all in timing and, um, yeah, just everything happens for a reason. That's kind of my motto to live by as it, it makes you stronger. And if, um, if you weren't able to go through it, you wouldn't be put through it. So, yeah, I just remember when you told me that story, the first thing I thought of, and I think I shared the same analogy to you is it's like having twins. If you've never had a baby, I, in my head, I think it would be great to have twins first. Cause you don't know what you don't know. So you just right. do it and <laughs> you go yep. through the big change, but then even after you have twins and you have your next child, it's never easy. It's never the simple thing. It never goes the way you expect. So you just keep going and everything is a blessing in the end that it turns out the way it's supposed to. And so I think that's great. And I love that you are continuing with that organization 
but you've kind of alluded to this throughout our conversation. And I just love this maybe because my heart's also in education a little bit, but you really have turned um, a lot of your passion, like you said, for mental health and for um, being really just supportive of specific communities that you have been pouring your heart into your job now as a special educator. Tell us a little bit about that. What does that look like for you? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> when I tell people exactly what I do, like my position, they're like, oh my goodness. Um, but I wouldn't want it any other way. So I want to preface that. Sure. That I really love the position that I have kind of fallen into, I guess. Um, so I work at a rural school, um, just South of Minot and I work with students grades K through 12. So my caseload is a very wide range of, um, ages, grade levels, um, abilities. It's just kind of a spectrum of kids, which I love, um, because no two days are ever the same and I'm not doing the same thing over and over and over. And I, for myself, that's the best way to keep me productive is to constantly be switching things up. And so, um, that part of the job is really good for me <laughs> as an educator to be able to switch things up like that. Um, but I primarily work with students with, um, emotional behavioral disorders, autism, um, ADHD, things like that. Um, and that is not what I set out to do. In fact, I had a roommate in college that was like so passionate, so gung ho for working with students with um, emotional and behavioral disorders. And I thought she was nuts. I was like, <laughs> how do you do that? I want to work with people who have intellectual disabilities because that was my safe space. Um, but I found that being personally connected like that was really difficult for me um, because I knew how to be a sibling and a caregiver mm. for people with mm. intellectual disabilities. And so to turn around and not necessarily not have a personal connection, but having there be those clear cut boundaries that I could not cross was really a struggle for me because I just was so personally invested to that life that it was really hard for me to differentiate and to just to step back and let that be was so hard for me. And boundaries are so important for educators. I think that we all go in with these huge hearts and we think we'll just be yeah. whatever we can for kids. And there's a time when you go, I can't be everything for every kid. And so boundaries, I think are so important. So it's good that you could recognize that pretty quickly. I still have such a hard time with it. I know I, my students are my kids. I don't have any mm -hmm. kids. Um, I mean, I'm 25. So like, it's not a huge rush for me, but I, my kids are my kids and I am very, protective of them. And I frequently need to be reminded that like my job is to make sure they feel safe and loved and cared for at school. Um, and then make them want to come back here so that they can feel more of that, um, consistency and that care and that love while they're here, um, and give them the tools to be able to create that, that for themselves at home. Um, and it could be very difficult, especially with the population that I work with. Um, a lot of times students that I work with do not have both parents that live in the home. Um, and you know, even if they do, it might not be a healthy, um, relationship. Um, I have a lot of students whose family members have been incarcerated or, um, have, you know, addictions to different things, um, histories of abuse, whether it be for them personally or family members, um, or just, you know, random situations, um, some, you know, instances of homelessness or food insecurities. Those are all very real things that I myself have been really blessed not to experience. Um, and I didn't really think about that as much because, you know, in North Dakota, it, we all kind of look and act the same or so I thought, um, I was pretty blind to that reality of those things being real, um, here. And it really opened my eyes to the fact of, you know, the saying, like, you don't know how someone else's day is going. So treat everyone with kindness, um, because you don't know their story. Mm. And it is so true. And, and my students show up, you know, to the best of their abilities every day. I really have seen some of the hardest workers, some of the most caring kids, um, and all they need is a relationship. And, you know, once you build that, they will do anything for you. There is, you know, there's kids that 
have a really hard time with certain teachers or staff members. And the moment I walk in the room, the other staff are like, how do you, how do you get them to do that? Why can't they just do that? And I'm like, well, I've taken the time to, to know that, you know, when they're putting their head down, they're falling asleep in class. It's not because they find your class boring. It's because they slept in a car or they had to take care of their siblings or they had to work another job. Like it's so not personal. And I think there's a lot of people that sometimes can take it personally and don't acknowledge, um, or have to be reminded that kids are so not responsible for a majority of their life. Like they are dealt these hands that are completely controlled by adults and they are told to come to school and to learn and, but they haven't eaten or they didn't sleep or there's, you know, they have a really loud, um, home life or inconsistency, like all of those things. And then you expect them to come and learn their ABCs and one, two, threes. That's wild. Um, well, and on top of that, they're in a class with 30 other kids that have many other different issues too. So you're talking about one yeah. kid when you're, when a teacher is staring at 30, 35, I know in some classes in Minnesota, we're up to 40 kids in a class. It's going, how do you also do that and differentiate that individually with those kids? It's so hard. It's so yeah. hard. And I could, you know, I get a lot like, oh, I could never do your job. Well, I could never be a classroom teacher um, because I am too like personally invested in my students that like, I wouldn't have time to actually teach anything because I'd be sitting next to all my students, you know, and, and um, I just, I hate to, you know, I don't want it to seem like I'm discrediting other teachers or anything like that, but I want to show people that I'm in the business of not creating, you know, a, a scholar necessarily, if that happens, great. Um, but I am in the business of building better humans. And I think that when teachers look at it from that aspect, it's a lot easier to not ask, you know, why are you doing this? What are, you know, can you just stop doing this and ask like, what happened to make you think that that's okay? students that swear, mm -hmm. they're not born with those words. Like they had to hear it from somewhere and students that, you know, are, are so negative towards themselves. Someone had to have told them that, you know, they don't naturally think that they're dumb. They don't naturally think, oh, well, I just hate every, you know, person of color or white person or whatever. Like they're taught, they are, they are conditioned to be that way. And so it's a lot more for me about understanding the background that they come from and acknowledging that that is different than the way I think, but, um, understanding the why behind it is like so much more important to me than the actual yeah. behavior itself. Well, I think they, that having that person, because the other side of a traditional classroom teacher needs to happen as well. And so getting both of those, those kids then find success in such different ways. Whereas Absolutely. we don't have, if we don't have these types of programs and we don't have these other teachers that, you know, can work in tandem with, uh, uh, what I would say is a traditional classroom teacher and their families, it, it just feels like it's a, there's a big piece missing. And so you do amazing things to bridge all of those connections for those kids so that they can find success and find their own empowerment within themselves. Yeah. I, my, <clears throat> um, my first student that really change the trajectory of my career. <clears throat> I had, um, a wide variety of disability categories and needs and things like that. My first year of teaching, um, and my first year of teaching was consequently COVID year. So I didn't even get, you know, we went home and never came back yeah. through the rest a of the whole year. different bag of, yeah, crazy. It was so crazy. Um, but my first semester was pretty typical and I just found myself not being bored, but just like not feeling like I was super challenged. Like it was very routine. And like I said, like, I'm not a routine kind of person. I want to be, I really wish I was. Um, but I like that variable coming in and every once in a while, just kind of not going by the plan. Um, and the student came to us after Christmas and was something that I've never experienced before. It was a very frustrated student. Um, <clears throat> you could really tell that he was um, not acknowledged as 
a whole person, but as a behavior problem, quote unquote, mm-hmm. yep. um, at past schools and was just never given like the expectations of, yeah, you can have bad days, but this is not how we handle it. Um, and really given a chance and, you know, he was very, very angry at the school system and rightfully so after talking to his mom, she said at previous schools, he was sent home before the end of the school day, um, like, like 80% of the days, like he didn't make it through a full school day really ever. Um, and, and he was just sent home. Like he was removed from the classroom, wasn't really taught much. Like, you know, once he was removed, he just had to sit there. And so like that expectation of learning was totally not there. And anytime you set the expectation of learning, that was really frustrating for him and rightfully so like, you know, um, And so that was really hard for me because school came very easily to me. I had a couple other students who had some, you know, behavioral concerns and some communication types of things. Um, But for the most part, they were academically on par. Um, So that wasn't really the frustration. That was more of a social aspect um, where his very much came from being academically challenged because he never had that uh, experience. And so it was a lot more frequent. and it was kind of to where you could expect it of certain things. And that was hard sure. um, because you're at school and you have to learn academics at school. And so finding a way to really build a relationship with that student, one was really hard for um, the other staff in my building because they're like, you're just going to let him do puzzles and games and stuff. And I had to explain, you know, how do I expect him to do things for me if he doesn't trust me? If he doesn't know that in the long run, like I want to have fun with him. I want to help him grow. I want him to succeed. Um, you have to build trust with the students who are sometimes some people think they're the most unlovable. I would mm-hmm. disagree, but yeah. at times it's very frustrating and it's very hard to keep your cool and to still remember that they're just kids and all of those things, because some behaviors are really hard to deal with. Um, but I will never forget, he has moved away, Um, but before he moved, he, his behaviors were so tough and he was just having such a frustrating time um, that he was moved into my room full-time with a one-to-one paraprofessional um, doing grade level classwork, but just in my room, just to avoid kind of those confrontational things um, and to allow him for you know, to be frustrated, but to learn in a space that's not going to damage his social um, aspects of being in the classroom. Um, and he was, you know, getting pretty successful, but it it was hard for him to then want to buy back into the classroom atmosphere. Um, so when he moved, I was kind of nervous because him and I had built a great relationship. Him and his para were super close. Um, and he had a really great li- relationship with his peers. They were very supportive. They really enjoyed him. Um, and everybody was really sad when he left, they moved out of state and I got over this past summer and I got a call from his, one of the administrators at his new school, um, last October, I think it was. And they had asked me about him and they were like, um, did he, you know, we got his file and there was no history of like IEP services, anything like that do you know about that? And I was like, um, you don't have his IEP file. It is like a dictionary thick, like this kid had, you know, he was in my room one-to-one and self-contained like there. And I said, you know, how is he doing? And she said, well, you know, we've had a few frustration outbursts and things like that. You know, overall academically, he's doing great. He's in the classroom. He has no para. He has no IEP services because we didn't know about that. Um, well, coincidentally, they didn't request all paperwork. So his IP was still sitting in our, um, file system, but he made it all the way from August to October. Yeah. Such a big win for me. And it was such a big, you know, win for his mom. And of course that's frustrating to hear that he wasn't getting the services that he needed. Um, but I think it just goes to show that when you set the expectation for a student, um, it can be met whether yeah. you think it's too much or not. Like when they feel empowered to rise to the occasion, they can totally do that. Um, and, and that was just, 
you know, while I was so frustrated with the school system at the same time, like I was so proud of him. Um, so I had to call his mom and say, you know, this is not good, not good situation, but at the same time, just be proud of him because he was having those outbursts and frustrations every single day, um, for, for about a year. And then, you know, when we came back from Christmas break this last time before he moved, he was down to maybe an emotional outburst every week or so every two weeks. Like, so it really was under control to the point where he didn't even need those really consistent, rigid responses, um, to the frustrations. And he was still able to regulate those. So, I mean, that's a win in my book, but just to have students, to have students, um, feel like successful humans. That's what, that's what I want because all Mm -hmm. of us have little tips and tricks that we know how to regulate our emotions, whether we walk away from a situation, whether we get quiet and don't respond, whether we have emotional outbursts, like adults have those too. Um, but students, a lot of times it's because they've been taught that that's the only way to get their emotions across, um, whether it's modeling or they end up getting that alone time, or they get to do what they want when they yell, you know, or do whatever those behaviors are learned and, and they're learned because they've been successful in some past, you know, experience. And, um, just like reading and writing and math need to be taught appropriate behaviors need to be taught in school. Um, and, and I think it's very silly for us to expect kids just to know that without making sure that they've been taught that effectively, even at ninth, 10th grade, I have students who, you know, really, could benefit from uh, learning that certain things are appropriate and certain things are not appropriate. Yeah. And we found through the pandemic that those behaviors needed to be retaught too, because there was a lot of unlearned and uh, relearned of behaviors afterwards. Um, I have a question about, is there anything you learned from the pageant world that you have traveled with you into your now new world in education? Oh gosh. Um, I would say that, that everything is not as it seems. I think first impressions are really great and they can be a really good tool. Um, but they shouldn't be the only tool that you use to make a judgment or a, you know, to put a label on someone. A lot of times, um, you know, people say like you, you are the one that's responsible for your reputation. If you want a different reputation, you have to build, um, that, that viewpoint of yourself up with someone else. Like that takes time and effort. And while that's totally true, I don't think any of us want to be judged on one bad moment in our life. For sure. And a lot of times the students that I work with get judged on those bad moments very frequently. And then those wins, whether how big or small they are, don't get acknowledged as much um, because they're constantly like, well, yeah, that's great. But what about this? Oh, well, he'll never be able to do this. What about these times? You know, and it's, it's not a, it's not something that you can just apply across the board um, because people grow and people change. And if I was judged by my worst moment, trust me, that would be terrible and awful. And I would not want that to happen. And I think we all have bad moments. It's just a lot of times students have to live those moments publicly. And that's so unfortunate. Um, and, and just to remember that you never know what someone is going through, no matter how put together they have it, whether how not put together they have it. Um, you know, we can think that we have the full story and that we know someone and you can have no clue, you know, I mean, some of my best friends, I'm sure there's things about them that I really don't know. And, and if I did, it would probably change my outlook on them. And so, you know, whether you've taught this student all year, or you just met them, you know, just, just acknowledging that one, a lot of their life has not been their fault or not been their choice. Um, and, and two, like they, they want to be good. They want to be a good student, a good child, a good person. Um, they just haven't really been given an adult that has the faith in them to rise to that occasion because of, the circumstances that they're in or the home life or the older brother, who's just 
really a bad influence, you know, they've just been put in that box and those labels are really hard to remove sometimes. Yeah. That was a great connection. I hadn't thought of it that way. I love it. Well, I really appreciate you being here today and thank you for sharing about pageant life and Miss Amazing. And now just this amazing adventure that you're on in the education world. Those kids are very lucky to have you and that. I'm very lucky to have them. They have completely (laughs) changed my world and I would not, um, I wouldn't trade the hard days at all because they make the good days a lot more worth it. So awesome. But yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. Well, we may have to come back and check in with you later. I'd love to hear more. So, well, maybe no, you have to be like our reoccurring guest to have to come back. So maybe I'll have to make a trip. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be great. Come to the library and hang out with me here. That'd be great. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Samantha for being willing to share about pageant life, about the work she does with Miss Amazing, about her time in special education. We wish her all the best. We know that that life is hard, but so rewarding. And so thank you for all that you do for those students. If you want to find out more, just check out the show notes. We have some information there for you. And I hope you guys will tune in next week for another great conversation here on the Recourse Podcast. See you soon, everybody.